Good morning. Great to be here with you guys this morning. I'm super blessed to know Albert. I've known him for a number of years now. It's funny, someone asked this morning, hey, how did you, how did you guys meet? Well, first of all, we're part of a, a church that's called Calvary Chapel, and so there's not many Asian pastors in Calvary Chapel, so we're just kind of like, hey, Lee. I saw Lee, Albert Lee, and I thought, dude, he's Korean, you know, right on. And then I, he's Chinese. I got disappointed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, actually, we have a lot of mutual friends. And um, my roommate in Bible college, one of my best buddies, uh, was on staff at Calvary Golden Springs, where Albert went to Bible school there. And, uh, and so that's how I kind of got hooked up with Albert. So anyhow, we're going to talk about anxiety today. And uh, it's a huge problem we all deal with at times. And uh, I thought, man, so fitting for the Lord, especially. Uh, my wife has gone on, on, a, on a ladies' retreat right now with all our ladies. And so I don't know if you saw me, but I have four kids, okay? <laughs> I got four kids, uh, three, bo- three boys, eight, six, and four. And then uh, I have a one-and-a-half-year-old baby girl. She's like my princess, right? I love her. She's so cute. But, <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh my gosh, it's some work. <laughs> and so this was a constant reminder to me this, this past weekend. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray, guys, before we consider this. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you know exactly what we're going through today. And none of us here are off the blip on your radar screen. We're all there. You know where we're at. You know what's going on. You know what's coming. You know what's near. You know what's far. And uh, we can come to you today by faith and rest and know that we're in great, awesome hands. We can know today, Lord, that you knew everything that was coming, Lord, and everything that will come. And we thank you so much that we can come to you today knowing that we're covered by your grace, we're covered by your mercies. And Lord, we can rejoice, we can always find reasons to rejoice in you, Lord. Because you're good, you're generous, you're so generous, you're so good to us. And so Lord, we come to you by faith today, knowing these things, and just blessed that you're with us today. Speak to us, encourage us, Lord, and um, be glorified in us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Really quick, I'm from American Canyon, which is uh, right next to Napa. It's about eight miles out of Napa. And uh, originally an L.A. boy, grew up in L.A. by Hollywood area, ghetto, straight up. And my mom had a burger stand near Compton. And so kind of like, that's where I'm from. And then we moved to Orange County, middle school. You know, that was a big change. And then got involved with Calvary Chapel Churches and then moved up to Napa. Started working at a, a church there called Cornerstone, part of Calvary Chapels. And then the pastor there kept encouraging me to start a church, and so I started a church a year and a half ago in American Canyon, and, um, and so that's where I'm at, that's what I'm doing, and I'm, again, I'm blessed to be here, but this verse has been just so uh, key, so important to me, to not be anxious. I hate being anxious. I don't think any one of us love to worry. In fact, we all do, though, and so just, I hope you're encouraged today. The letter to the Philippian church, really quick, just to give you a little overview, the letter centered on joy. The whole book is centered on the joy in the life of a believer and the joy that we can experience that God gives to us 
And here's the thing, though. This, this joy that God gives to us, it totally hinges upon the way we think. On our mentality. And so when you look at the book of Philippians, the way it's kind of broken down, it's really cool. Chapter 1, Paul speaks about the mind. Chapter 1 is about having the single mind. The single mind. And so a mind that is singularly focused on Jesus, like Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That single mind. When you realize all that matters is Jesus and nothing else really matters, it's really cool because nothing else really does matter. And so you're able to experience joy. Things kind of just can bounce off of you and roll off of you a lot easier when you realize Jesus is all that matters. For to me, to live is Christ. And there's such joy to be found living for Jesus. Chapter 2 speaks of the submitted mind. Again, it's all about your mentality. And in chapter 2, Paul talks about, you know, Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. And he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And there's such joy in a life that is submitted to God. Because just Jesus submitted himself, look at the result of what happened. The whole world gets to be saved. And tons of people came to Christ. And through our submission to the Lord, it's so neat when a believer can come to the place and say, you know what, who cares about my rights? I don't care. For the sake of Christ, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it. Who cares? And they do it. So there's no joy like the submitted mind. Chapter 3 speaks of the selfless mind. A lot of us know this text really well, but when we stop dwelling on ourselves and when we consider everything as rubbish, as dung, as trash compared to the excellency of knowing Christ, when that's your mentality, the selfless mind, and you're pressing onward and upward, there's no such joy. (laughs) There's no greater joy. Chapter 4 speaks of the settled mind. Paul says, a mind that is settled on whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is worthy of praise. It's your mentality, right? When you think on these things, man, there's such joy you experience. There's such joy you experience. But when the truth that you believe on is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you experience joy. And so joy hinges on your mentality. And so Paul kind of focuses on the mind. We're going to focus on verse 6 and 7 of chapter 4. And a lot of commentators call these verses... The cure for anxiety is what they call it. The cure for anxiety. Let me read it one more time because there's nothing like just reading God's word and hearing it for ourselves. In verse 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, most of us here, if not all of us here, but most of us are pretty good about following directions and obeying rules and guidelines given when we're given a prescription by a doctor, right? You're not going to, well, I feel like taking 10 of these right now. (laughs) You don't don't do that. We're pretty good about following instructions to the T when a prescription is given because why we trust in this Asian doctor. He's smart. He went to whatever school and Dr. Kim, you know, whatever. They know what they're talking about, right? And so you trust in their instructions and, and and you go and you do it. But what about when it comes to what's prescribed for our souls and our spirits? The doctor of our souls and spirits. The doctor who knows how to heal everything. Our God who made us. Inside and out. The expert of all experts. Why is it that when God gives us instructions, we're like, ah, you know, maybe not today. I'm all right. You know, we're so lax when it comes to God's prescription for our souls. When he knows, if anyone knows what can fix us, it's, it's, it's the Lord, it's God. 
And yet we become so lax about, ah, oh, I'm kind of tired, I'll read later on. Or, 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 uh, we would not be like that with medication. So, anxiety. It's a big problem today. Many of us know that. Let me read some statistics on anxiety. This is a study done in 2007. It says 13.3% of the adult population in the U.S., which is 19.1 million people, are diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. These are the documented cases. Another statistic says that 43% of the population experience anxiety. I think everyone experiences it <laughs> to a certain degree. Uh, it's the number one mental health issue in the U.S. It includes panic disorder and any and all phobias, post-traumatic stress, ex- obsessive-compulsive, arachnophobia, whatever phobia. It's, it's all tied to anxiety. They say 13% of children ages 9 to 17 have an anxiety disorder, and it costs the U.S. over $42 billion a year in medical expenses. That was 2007, so today is probably a lot more. There's some general things the Bible teaches us about anxiety and depression. Proverbs 12:25 basically says this, that anxiety causes depression. <laughs> it makes you sad. Anxiety causes depression. That makes sense. 1 Samuel 18, some of you know this, King Saul was worried that the people loved David more than that they loved him. They started singing, Saul's kills his thousands. David's killed ten thousands of people. He's like, oh, man. And he started stressing out, getting anxious, because the people loved David more than they loved Saul. And that anxiety drove him to bitterness and craziness. It blinded him to the destruction that he was bringing upon himself and upon his family. It totally consumed him. That's what anxiety does. It not only affects you, but it affects your family. It affects everyone around you. And it brings destruction to the home. David worried for his life because Saul was chasing him down and trying to kill him. And so it it drove him to the point where he lived with his enemies, with the Philistines. And there was even a point at at that time when, when he acted like a crazy man because he was afraid for his life. There were times when he totally trusted, but there was this one time he went down deep. Uh, the Philistines came, and he, so he started acting crazy, just shaking around, drooling from the mouth, scratching the walls, and acting all crazy. And, you know, that's what anxiety does to us. It takes us to the point of depression. It makes us so desperate that we will do things that we normally would not do. We get crazy. We get weird. It brings us to our lowest of lows. In Matthew 6.25, we'll look at this later, but Jesus said that worrying is a waste of time. It's a waste of time. It doesn't add anything to you. It doesn't benefit you in any way. In Exodus, when the people complained and worried that they would die in the desert, that anxiety sowed discord and strife and division among the people. And that anxiety, it makes people forget what God has done. You remember when the spies came back? Look at these mangoes. They're huge. The grapes. The grapes. Look at the fruit of the land. This is humongous. But there's giants, you know. And two guys are like, but, but God can do this. God, he'll rock him like nothing. Everyone's no, no, we can't. And don't they remember the Egyptians? And that's what anxiety does. It makes us forget what God has done. It makes us forget how powerful he is, forget how amazing he is. And it doesn't promote faith in God. It rather promotes a faith in yourself. And it doesn't glorify God. Instead, it glorifies the problem. It treats God as if he didn't care. So that's what anxiety does. Those are some scriptures that talk about anxiety in the Bible. I love this quote I read from Arthur Summers Roach. And he wrote this in the early 1900s. He said, 
Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. <laughs> Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. And again, many of us have experienced how anxiety just drains you to the point where you can't do anything. You're just done. You're done. With four kids, you experience that here and there. <laughs> You're just like, I'm done. You know. So what's the prescription? Well, verse 6. Let's look at this piece by piece here. First he says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Now the word anxious in the Greek is the word merimnao, merimnao, M-E-R-I-M-N-A-O is how they kind of spell it out. And it means to be anxious, to worry, to be troubled with cares. Now, I love word pictures. And the word picture given that's described to us is the act of being pulled apart in different directions. Pulled apart in different directions. Now, isn't it interesting? Because that's exactly what it feels like when we worry about something at times. When we get anxious, we feel like we're being stretched and pulled apart, sometimes to the point of snapping, pop, and you snap on people. You blow up on them, like, what? You just, that's what, because you're just, oh, you're being pulled apart. So it's like this. On one side, you have your hopes, your dreams, your desires pulling us in one direction. And on the other side, you have your fears, your doubts, your lack of faith pulling in the opposite direction. And it's pulling you apart. Again, for you moms and dads of young kids, some of you, it's your dream to have a few hours of peace and quiet, to read that book, to have that cup of tea while it's hot, and <laughs> all your kids would take a nap at the same time. It'd be amazing, um, without drugging them, right? Because that's just wrong, you know. But <laughs> and it's a fight. It's a fight every single day from you know what you desire, reality, <laughs> what you desire and reality. Some of you guys in college, you're single. I remember that. <laughs> Your desire, reality. (laughs) It's okay, God has a plan. (laughs) Because when you're married, it doesn't stop. (laughs) When you have kids, it doesn't stop. There's the desires, the wishes, the wants, your hopes, and then there's reality. (laughs) And you know what? It could be the bills you need to pay on one side and the actual amount of money you have in the bank, right? It could be, some of you guys, you have that prodigal son or daughter and what you desire for that prodigal son or daughter, for them to walk with Jesus, to love Jesus, to repent from their sin, and just to experience the the freedom and the life of God and then the reality of where they're at in sin, in that vice, not willing to let go, not wanting to repent. And for a parent, that just tears you apart. The list can go on and on. And again, like a rubber band, sometimes it gets pulled too tight for us and we snap. That's the Greek picture. In the Old English, that word uh, worry, interesting as well, because in the way it was originally used, worry, it was used to describe when you're being strangled. You're being strangled. When you choke the life out of something. And again, that's exactly what we experience at time with, with anxiety. It feels like we're being strangled of the life that we have in God. Uh, now, really interesting. Turn to Matthew 13, really quick. Matthew 13 and verse 18. I love this parable Jesus gives here. 
Let's look at what Jesus says. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now when he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. And so, remember we talked about the old English definition. Worry is like being choked out, strangled. And isn't it interesting what he's talking about here? The seed and the sower and the soil are being our hearts. I love it because, you know, the issue here is fruitfulness. The issue here is fruitfulness and unfruitfulness. And so why the enemy tempts us with the things we get tempted with, why we get tested with the things we get tested with, is to produce, you know, weeds and thorns in our lives. That's what he wants, to choke out, to strangle God's word producing fruit in our lives. For a lot of us here that believe in Jesus, you know, the, the thorn, the thorn one, that's, that's us. The cares of this world, the desires you have, the dreams and aspirations you have, the wants that you have to keep up with whatever so-and-so has. And the cares of this world, it chokes out and strangles the seed. And so it affects your fruitfulness. Now, if the thorns are out, what happens? 30, 60, 100-fold. But when the thorns remain, it puts a chokehold. And so the Lord allows those trials and temptations for the purpose of fruitfulness. And that as we give those desires to him and allow him to weed, <laughs> if you have a garden, you can't just weed it once and just like, cool. You've got to be ready to work like next when the season comes again. It's like stinks because there's weeds again. Even if you put the weed block there, weeds still get there. They're like psycho. But like you got to be on the ball with it as in Christianity we can allow the thorns to creep in. But when we allow him to come and to weed us and to take out those thorns and thistles out of our lives, he produces fruitfulness, fruitfulness in us. So being anxious, being worried, think of that picture. It's like being pulled apart, torn apart. It's like being strangled. It's like being strangled. And so do you realize today, this morning, that your worrying is pulling you apart from the life that you have in Jesus. Do you realize that it's strangling the life out of you? It's preventing fruitfulness. And so we need to give those worries to Jesus. It's pulling us apart. We can come to church. We can agree with the message. You receive the word, the seed, just like that soil did. Cool, I agree right on. He's, that's what I need to hear. But as soon as you walk out, <laughs> if nothing changes, you don't allow the Lord to weed stuff out of your life, then nothing's changed. The chokehold remains and thus, you have a lack of fruit in your life. So that's a diagnosis. We always need to have a good diagnosis before we get into the treatment. We've allowed ourselves to be pulled apart and choked out. So here's the three-step solution here in verse 6 and 7. First step, he says, be anxious for nothing, not even one thing. Now, the tense in the Greek tells us this was a command to stop, to stop. So in essence, he's saying, stop being anxious, okay? Stop being anxious. They were already being anxious, 
And so the tense in the Greek was a command to stop. Stop being anxious. Now, I like to say, imagine your Bible is like a scratch and sniff Bible. You remember those scratch and sniff books? It takes you like, ooh, grape. You know, you know? But imagine, again, where Paul is writing this from, guys. What were his circumstances? Now, Philippians is called one of his prison epistles. Not because prisons were cool. Not because of anything else, but that he was in prison. He was in prison in Rome awaiting trial by Caesar Nero. Some of you history buffs know that Caesar Nero was not very friendly toward Christians. He would light them on fire, put them on stakes in his garden, and just light them on fire in his garden. Because he said, ha you're the light of the world. So they would light up Christians and just uh, have them burning in his garden. I mean, he, he hated Christians. He hated Christianity. The fires in Rome, he blamed it on the Christians. Anyhow, so here's Paul writing from prison, awaiting trial from this guy, Caesar Nero. <laughs> basically awaiting a death sentence on his life. Again, let's put ourselves there. What would you be anxious about while locked up in prison? You know, maybe living, <laughs> maybe your torture, safety, a fair trial, not being raped. Now, from a man who had every reason to be anxious, <laughs> he tells the church, stop, <laughs> stop it, okay? Stop being anxious. I love what J. Vernon McGee says. He says, be anxious for nothing. So he says, nothing is a very interesting word. If you have something, it's not nothing. It's not correct grammar, but it's an accurate statement. Nothing is nothing, and you are to worry about nothing. Does this mean we are to look at life through rose-colored glasses and that we are not to face reality? Are we to believe that sin is not real, that sickness is not real, that problems are not real? No. Paul says that we are to worry about nothing because we are to pray about everything. Nothing is the most exclusive word in the English language. It leaves out everything. So Paul says we're to worry about nothing because we are to pray about everything. Paul's declaring there's not one thing worth being pulled apart for. So stop. Stop. Don't allow it to happen. It's a command from Paul. In fact, Jesus, I love it. Jesus commands us not to worry in Matthew 6, verse 25 to verse 34. Some of you guys know this text. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. God takes care of them. He'll take care of you. Oh, you have little faith, he says. So Jesus commands his people to not worry. And I love it so much because, I don't know about you, but for me, I need to be commanded this. <laughs> I don't. I, if it's just a suggestion, you know, no, I need it to be a command <laughs> because I just worry. I just worry. We just worry, right? Some of us are like, yeah, I, it's just the way I am. I can't, I'm a mom, I'm a dad. Or, you know, I have finals coming up. Or whatever, I have to worry. And I can't help it. And Jesus says, and Paul says, yes, you can help it. Yes, you can, so stop. Just stop it. <laughs> stop being anxious. He wills it for you guys. And I'm so glad again, because I need to be commanded this, because then it becomes an issue of obedience and submission. Am I willing to obey? Am I willing to submit for God's glory? So stop. Step number one, stop being anxious. Like stop, drop and roll, right? Stop, okay? Stop being anxious. Worry about nothing. Step number two, he says, pray about everything. And everything by prayer and supplication is what he says. Pray about everything. What does everything mean? Everything means everything. In the Greek, it's the word pas, P-A-S, which speaks of each and every, any and all. 
That's what the word pas is used for. Each and every, any and all. For those of us who can, again, fake enough Spanish to order Mexican food, todo. You say todo. Give me everything. Everything, okay? Everything. Pray about everything. Now, that word prayer is a general word for prayer. It speaks of communication with God, communion with God. And it describes a dialogue. That word used in the Greek it speaks of a dialogue where I'm not only speaking to him, but where I'm willing to listen to. <laughs> and I'm willing to listen. And I'm allowing him to speak to me and to guide me. That's good communication. Now, supplication is a different word. And supplication, you see it in that word in the beginning, supply, supply. And it's a request for God to supply what I need to meet specific needs and the needs of others. So in each and every, any and all situations and circumstances, I'm going to have constant communication where I'm talking to God and I'm asking for supply for specific things, but where I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to receive from him what he wants to speak to me. And he says, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, doesn't God already know your issues, your, your desires, your wants, your, what you're stressing about? Doesn't he already? Of course he does. Of course he does. I love what Psalm 139 verse 1 says. He says, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my getting up. And he goes on to say, you know a word that I'm going to speak before I even speak it, before it's not even on the tip of my tongue, you know what I'm going to say. And yet Jesus even says, ask, seek, knock. He tells us to do these things. And what that tells us is, is something really cool, guys. Even though God knows already, he wants to maintain a good, healthy relationship with us. An intimate, he wants to hear from us. I love that. My baby girl, some of you guys saw her, she's super, super cute. She's like chubby, chubby thighs. Like, I love it, you know. But she's only like one and a half years old. She can barely, ah, yeah, ah, yeah. <laughs> That's how she talks, right? And, um, but I, I love just to just hear her voice, even if she's like yelling at me, <laughs> just like with her claws out. I just love to hear her voice. I just love it. I talk to her and she'll just like, look at me, but I want to talk with her. She's my girl. She's my daughter. <laughs> my three boys. I know exactly what they need. I know what they want, but I still want to hear it from them. I know what they want. My middle child, Lego maniac, okay? Birthday, Christmas, guarantee Lego, okay? And so, but what do you want for your birthday? I know. <laughs> I know already. What do you want? I just want to hear him. Oh, I want to do, I want, Dad, I, I just want to, why? I love having a relationship with my boys. Our God loves to have a relationship with us. So even though he knows, he just wants to hear. Even though he knows, he just wants you to know he's there. He loves you. He's right there. Hey, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. And so make it known unto God. And so that's the prescription he gives. A lady once asked G. Campbell Morgan, uh, Dr. Morgan, do you think we should pray about the little things in our lives? And G. Campbell Morgan, he answered and said, Madame, can you mention anything in your life that is big to God? <laughs> Can you mention anything in your life that is big to God? So everything's little, his point. Everything's little. Another guy from the Middle Ages, his name is Fenelon. He says, tell God all that is in your heart 
As one unloads one's heart, its pleasures and its pains to a dear friend. Tell him all your troubles, that he may comfort you. Tell him all your joys, that he may sober them. Tell him your longings, that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes, that he may help you to conquer them. Talk to him about temptations, that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart, that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved taste for evil, your instability. Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insincere, how pride disguises you to be to you and to yourself as to others. And he just goes on and on. And, and he says, Blessed are they who attain such familiar, unreserved intercourse with God. It's good to be close to God. It's good to just tell him everything. He is willing to listen. He wants to. So, stop. <laughs> Pray about everything. Pray about everything. And then step three says, he says, with thanksgiving. Be thankful in all things. You see, everything changes for you and for me when we begin to thank the Lord. When we begin to thank him for all that he's done and all that he's doing and all that he's going to do. So some of you maybe have experienced this, as I do probably a number of times throughout the year. But there's times when you just can't stop thinking about something. <laughs> it's just, and you're just like, stop! And it won't stop. And you even pray about it. It's like, God, uh, I just, I need to sleep now. It's like 2 in the morning, and I'm getting really tired. i got to wake up early, and you still can't stop thinking about it. Your mind just goes, just goes, right? And you can't stop it. Now, for me, it's so cool. What I've learned is that when I begin to worship the Lord and thank him for all that he's doing and all that he's done, I fall asleep. <laughs> like Just like that, bam, I fall asleep. Just like that. And I stop thinking about those things. It's so neat. This is key, guys. This is key. Sometimes we just tell them everything. Oh, look, God, this and this and that. And we're just like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> we're not, we don't have the peace of God because we're not thanking him. We're not thinking about what he's done already and what he's going to do. And so and be thankful in all things. Everything changes for us emotionally, mentally. God, thank you for this. God, you did this. Too. Oh, you're so good. Thank, I know you can do this, too. And when you begin to worship him and to thank him for who he is, it's just all the dee 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 It just, and you're able to rest. You're able to sleep. It is key, guys, key. And everything with thanksgiving. Everything. I love what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for you guys, that you rejoice that you thank him and everything give thanks. I like what John Piper says. He says, with thanksgiving, that's the humble, non-demanding mindset that flavors all of prayer. Making requests thankfully means that we'll be content and thankful with whatever God wisely and lovingly gives us. And we know that he'll hear our prayer and wisely and, and lovingly give us what is best for us. So in each and every, any and all circumstances, Pray to him with thanksgiving. And here's the promise that's going to come to. Here's the promise he gives to us. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is the guarantee that when you take this prescription, when you stop, stop, (laughs) and you pray about everything with thanksgiving. And when you start doing that, here's the promise, the peace of God, which surpasses all 
all understanding. This peace he gives to us, guys, he describes it in a way that surpasses our power of thinking. It's beyond our ability to understand and to explain. Therefore, it must be experienced. It's a peace that must be experienced and that can be experienced. I love it so much. About three years ago, my dad passed away. And it was all of a sudden, he was supposed to have surgery, and uh, he was supposed to be in and out and recover in a couple of weeks and be home. But things went wrong, and uh, they gave me a call, so I had to rush down to SoCal there and be with my dad. But I remember when my dad passed away. I, I always kind of thought about what, what it's, what's it going to be like when my dad or my mom passes away. And so here it comes. My dad passes away, and of course I'm sad, I'm crying, and calling people was hard. <laughs> that was hard, calling people and telling people. And then, because like, you're kind of like, okay, I'm okay now, I'm going to call. They start crying. You're like, oh. <laughs> so, so, well, after a few days goes by, I feel totally okay. And it's funny because like, you don't know what to expect when you're grieving, when you're going through things like that. And so I started thinking, dude, you know, how come you're not sadder? You're jacked up, man. What's up with you? You're cold, man. What's up? You're just like, okay. What's up with that? That's so cruel. That's cold, man. And, and I'm just like, that is cold. What's wrong with me? And it's just, you know, kind of like, you know, in Lord of the Rings, you know, the guy's talking to himself, you know. <laughs> and it's kind of, what's wrong with me? How do I? It's, dude, you're cold. And, and it's kind of back and forth. And I felt like the Lord just really just put this thought in my mind. Um, I didn't hear a voice, but I felt like it just came. It's just, Petey, who cares what you think you're supposed to feel? <laughs> who cares? You're totally okay because I'm giving you peace. I'm carrying you. I'm helping you through this time. So I'm like, oh, the peace that surpasses understanding. I didn't understand it. I didn't see it coming. I'm like, well, why, am I, why am I okay? I didn't know I... It just came. just came. And that's the peace he promises to us. So cool. Pastor John Corson shared this as well. He says, why seek a peace that comes from understanding when you can have a peace that surpasses understanding? Way better. He also shared this. He said, um, Pastor John Corson shared when his wife and his daughter passed away years ago, he felt like God gave him these thoughts as well too. He felt like God was giving him a choice. He's like, John, you have a choice here. You can have the sympathy of men or you can have the peace of God. And it's interesting, when you're going through stuff, you like the sympathy of man. You like people say, poor Petey, oh, can I bring you some food? <laughs> we like that stuff, you know. But you can have the sympathy of man, or you can have the peace of God to guard your hearts and your minds. And I love the way it guards our hearts and our minds. It's a, that word to guard is a military word. And um, it's, it's, it's like, and the picture again is this, your heart is a well-garrisoned stronghold. It's protected by a military guard. And that's how well protected our minds and our hearts are in Jesus. In Jesus. You see, the battle's here. <laughs> the battle's here. And we so need for him to guard it. And so here's the promise. He guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I love what Isaiah 26.3 says. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That's a good verse. <laughs> They're all good, but Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So, 
that's the promise he gives, and we have a choice to listen to this prescription or not. And my advice, listen to it. He knows. <laughs> this is the solution. Let me review. Stop worrying about things, but pray about everything, each and every and all things. In everything, give thanks, and then the promise of his peace will come and protect us and guard us. Now, what do we do with this? And I'm going to put you on the spot, as I was on the spot with these verses, is that, hey, you know, if I really believe in what God is telling me here, to stop and to pray about everything and to thank him for everything, and the promise of his peace is going to come, if I really, really believe this, I have a choice. Like, if God's really going to give me his peace, then you know what? I should be praying a lot more. (laughs) I should ask people to pray for me. After service, you know, the pastor usually invites people if you have need prayer for anything to come to one of the leaders or to ask the person next to you to pray for you regarding this. You know, you have a choice. If you really believe that his peace will come and will guard your heart and mind, it's like, dude, I should be praying more. I should be coming up. There should be lines of people for prayer. There should be people praying for each other at church. That should be happening everywhere. If we really believe in this text, if you believe in this and you're not going through drama, but you know so-and-so is, just go, hey, can I pray for you? Why? Because the guarantee and the promise is God's peace will be upon that person and will guard them. You see, it puts us on a spot where are we going to go back to our default setting? I'm just going to sit. We'll just let the drama people go up in for prayer. <laughs> right? I'm just going to sit. Or I'm just going to leave. Get out of that default setting. Get out of that cycle. However you've been handling the issues and circumstances of your life for however long, if it hasn't been this way, (laughs) would you try this way? Because he promises his peace. It's way better than what you've been doing. I guarantee it. (laughs) Way better. So that's the invitation for us. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord. You're so good. You're so awesome. You're so generous. You're so gracious. And Lord, I pray that we really believe in what you say in your word. And since you do promise your peace to us, would you help us, Lord, to stop worrying? Would you help us to pray about everything with thanksgiving? Would you help us, Lord, to be open to receive prayer from people? Would you lead us and help us to be a little bolder and freer to Just go in to pray for people, Lord, today. We're going through whatever it is they're going through, Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. Basic Christianity right here. And we need to hear the basics. And God, we thank you so much for your peace that has sustained us so much and so well. We're so thankful, Lord. If there's anyone here today, Lord, that has not yet trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, not yet experienced the peace of God in their lives, Oh, we pray, Lord, that they would stop the cycle of however they're dealing with things. (laughs) Whether it's ignoring it or drinking it away or whatever it is. (laughs) Lord, I pray that, um, that they would turn to you today and experience that peace that you promised to give us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.